Welcome to Say That, the podcast where every questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and we are joined here by Glenn Fitzgerald. I'm just out of clever things to say. Also joined by Jed Brewer. Hello! With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. We've done like over, like almost 500 of these, so it makes sense, Glenn. Yeah, I'm just out. Yes, apparently counting like specials and uh, best of clips and whatnot, we have done over 500 because oh I got an email from our uh, uh, podcast hosting platform that said, congratulations on 500 episodes. And that be the maybe the most sarcastic use of the term congratulations in the history of the English language. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like congratulations for the thousandth time you've walked into this casino on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> like it's commemorative, but is it congratulatory? Is that the same thing, Matt, as when you go into a, a restaurant with food that is really, really bad for you and everybody that works there knows your name? Hey, yeah. Lee. We going with the huge? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Also, uh, I think for our 500th episode, we ought to do an episode that's 500 minutes long. Oh, wow. Yeah. It'd be like 24 hours at Le Mans. Sure. sure. Very much like that. The three of us will tap out the normal sixty, and Glenn, we'll just leave it. We'll just leave it going, and you can yeah. um, kind of do it. I'm just going to ride it out. I, I firmly believe, though, that if we timed it right with gripes giving, I think that would be not very difficult for Glenn. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've got plenty of material. Believe me, it, you know. I think the difficulty is if we pair the five hour or a five hundred minute episode with the uh, gripes giving, um, it would not be fit for general consumption. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah. That would run out of clean material about minute four. Yeah. <laughs> For those wondering, uh, that would be an eight min eight hour and twenty minute podcast. Wow. Yeah. wow. There you go. Nobody wants that. There are some people who've done it, but nobody wants it. Well, I will say there are some mega churches that, you know, every now and then they'll have kind of a gimmick where, you know, pastor preaches for twenty four hours or something to commemorate the release of his new book. Sure. Mm. Or something like that. And so maybe what we could do is uh, to release, you know, to commemorate the release of of Glenn's new gripe, we can have like an eight-hour pod. Oh, I yeah. like that. I like that. Lee, I'm glad you brought that up because this is not the, the main emergency episode, but it is something I saw this week. So a, a, a little emergency amuse-bouche, a pre-emergency, if you will. <laughs> oh, well done, sir. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. And uh, it, it ties back to Glenn because it is a... A justification, a uh, commiseration of one of our uh, bridge uh, service policies, according from from Delia Gallagher, who is the CNN Vatican correspondent from September 13th, uh, quote, no homilies longer than 10 minutes, Pope Francis tells priests in Slovakia, quote, the faithful have to listen to 40 minute homilies. A homily shouldn't last more than 10 minutes. People lose interest. Wow. Hmm. So think about that in your mind next time pastor tells you he's going to, he's going to really bless everybody with the full 24 hour, uh, the full 24 hour sermon. Even if you're not Catholic, dude knows a bit about putting on a church services. Anything over 10 minutes is really just wasting people's time. Look, <laughs> folks that folks that haven't actually physically been to the bridge don't know that they'll, they usually, when they're talking about the 10 minute sermon limit, they'll usually, th- uh, you know, throw up some, some kind of gif or something of, of a guy throwing a shoe at an old president or something like that, or, you know, 
you know, Hulk smashing things or whatever the whether you know these are the things that may Something happen violent. if you go if you go over the ten minute limit. And I love the idea of Pope Francis, you know, like rolling this out with with gifts in the yes. PowerPoint. Yes. Yeah. yes, I like the idea of him taking those. Red, who is it that makes? Is it Gucci that makes the red shoes to the Pope? It's something very I, high I end. believe it's Prada. There you go, Prada. Just taking off that red Prada shoe and winging it at some guy at like minute 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Consider this a papal bowl. Toss. Or, or, or does he leave that to, uh, does he does he leave that to the Glenn Pope who then popes you like a hurricane? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those where he sort of, you know, very discreetly gives the nod. <laughs> and bad Pope reaches down, pulls off his Prada shoes. Of course, in, in my case, you know, he's got the Prada shoes. I've got the Chuck Taylors. It's a different okay. endorsement right. kind sure. of. Sure, sure. Because yeah, sure. I'm because he's really, you know, he's the heavyweight. He's the like, <clears throat> you know, the popular one or whatnot. Right. So, you know, I, I you know, uh, but you know, I got that sweet, sweet uh Chuck Chuck Taylor deal where, you know, I I can get uh, like buy one, get one free. So it's pretty, pretty sweet. Well, given that you're throwing shoes regularly, I mean, you kind of need the extra pair. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You can't expect people to give back the shoe that you threw at them. Yeah, That's a souvenir. I mean, it, it adds up over time. <laughs> Plus, a Chuck Taylor, nice and heavy and nice flat surface for a really good one. <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. that You get that waffle imprint yeah, on the good. face. And, and also, for some reason, Glenn keeps throwing the right one. And so he always has an uneven pair. Yeah. Every time, you know, Chuck Taylor has to keep feeding in. They're like, "Why don't you throw a left one every now and then, Pope Glenn?" Yeah, no, I I think what it really comes down to, fellas, is you know, it, what we need is like a a podcast episode that has all the elements of a filibuster to it. Oh, you know what I mean? Wow. Where okay. you just, you know, it's sort of like a Patton Oswalt talking about the Marvel universe and the Star Wars <laughs> universe crossing over, and you know that whole deal. I like it. Sure. I I think one of the things that makes our uh, podcast different than most uh, Christian podcasts on the internet is it does not have the elements of a filibuster, just one dude talking (laughs) in disregard of everyone else's uh, time and interest. But we could always try other things. Now, we mentioned the, the, I'm assuming, all red, uh, corrective Chuck Taylors of the, the bad Pope. So we've already started talking fashion, and that leads us... To a fashion emergency. What? It's a fashion emergency? And not no. the normal kind of fashion emergency, which is what my wife refers to many of the shirts I try to wear as we're leaving the house. <laughs> not really true. I am grown, but it's nice to just slip into the uh, sitcom husband character every once in a while. Oh, no, I accidentally tied my shoes together and my boss is coming over for dinner. What are we going to do? Are they good for me? That's right. That's right. Just just tangled up in the blinds. Uh, so I, I bring you a headline from the Gentleman's Quarterly. Oh. GQ.com. The headline, Prayers Up, How God Became the Hottest Thing in Fashion. Well. And a wow. subheadline, From Sunday Service to Holy Trinity Bikinis, Religion is Trending. Is it? Yeah. Apparently, uh, God has made a... You, you, some of the listeners of this show may be shocked to know that it needed, but apparently God has made a serious comeback. Okay. Um, do we have a, as their uh, evidence for this, GQ uses an Instagram account with a web store uh, with about 20,000 followers of all 
God-based merchandise, including, as mentioned in the subhead, a, a what appears to be a white bikini with the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, just kind of they look photoshopped on in like Times New Roman font in what I'm going to go ahead and say is strategic areas. You can go ahead and look it up for yourself if you want. Uh, we, we can put some images in, even though there's no model in the image, still not an image we're going to put on the show because, you know, trying not to do that. But apparently, uh, God's all the rage. Well, then. Right. So, so people are, you know, dedicating their lives to, you know, following the teachings of Jesus Christ and trying to mold their life after him and uh, be in service to mankind. That's, that's what you're saying. No, Glenn, they're taking a much more radical approach. They're wearing a t-shirt, bro. A t-shirt. Wow. Which, okay. under persecuting immigrants, uh, still one of the better ways people have tried to make religion happen in this country in the last four <laughs> years or so. But, Glenn, to that very good question, I give you this uh, statement from the article. Hyde, who's one of the designers they, inter- they interviewed, insists that God has been trending, pointing out that, quote, Jesus was one of the OG celebrities. <laughs> uh... And that, quote, when you think about celebrities today, where they're really trying to do what Jesus did, which is like, become forever and sacrifice themselves for the public. Citing Lady Gaga's 2009 VMA performance, where she killed herself stage, where she killed herself stage, crucified in the wake of fame and paparazzi. That I don't think this person understood the Lady Gaga performance. <laughs> I, I think uh, I, every now and then you read something and you wonder, is there a gas leak in that building? Uh, you know, because, uh, sometimes when you're just going to like fancy galas and balls and reading fashion magazines, you, you, you sort of, it's a sort of an Ouroboros effect there. It's all folding in on itself. But here's my question is like, so you, you have the people that are sort of using God as sort of a branding thing. So you got the God t-shirt, but like, is it like when you run the marathon, and then they gave you the the like the T-shirt that you ran the marathon, right? So like you know you so you do something, you know, in service to God, and like somebody wants to let you celebrate that, so you get a T-shirt. Hmm. Is Possibly. that is that what's going on here? Well, let let us look to some concrete examples of the the things being sold, the goods being put forth. Uh, and maybe we can come up with an understanding of what's going on here. Uh, one of them is a Corinthians short, black. Uh, it is a piece of what is described as, this does not sound uh, pleasant, heavy fleece sweat shorts okay. with mm-hmm. uh, the quote from Corinthians, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things, uh, what can only be described as emblazoned across the crotch. Oh. Oh, God. <laughs> that's not necessary. Retail price one hundred dollars. Oh well, but don't worry, yeah. you can split that into four interest-free payments of twenty-five dollars. Oh, Clara! Uh, and again, it does seem to be just whatever the default setting on their uh, printing software was yeah. for the font. There, yeah, it's looking like that for sure. So that's the kind of thing we got. Um, We've got a uh, God's favorite trucker hat and crop top. 
uh, the father figure rugby polo. And a one thing that caught our eye as I'm scrolling down, so there's a couple images here in the, the GQ article. One of them is a uh, black crew neck sweatshirt that has not a passage of scripture, but a, a, an encouraging thought on it. Okay. And that encouraging thought is God loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. Whoa. What? They, they're in Matt King's head. It sounds like they stole that from us. And here's the thing. Yeah. I definitely stole that from someone else. And when well, we recorded yeah. the first one of these podcasts, I realized I had to say something at the end and that just kind of came out. I definitely stole that from someone, but I don't remember who I stole it from. And at that, that's the point where it becomes an original thought. Uh-huh. Right. I'm, I'm not a copyright lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Sure. Right. Again, well, gentlemen, we, as we close this out, as we are apparently uh, inspiring uh, fashion trends, the world and the faith over, do we have mm. anything else we would like to, maybe we can make something ourselves before someone steals it from us? Well, absolutely. I think what we need to do, and, and I think we can probably have our legal team you know, contact these people and explain that you know, they're, they're ripping us off, but they can make up for it because here's what we're going to do, man. This is all about not only we're going to have our own clothes, we're going to have our own avenue for broadcasting them. I'm talking about the Matt Gala. Very oh. nice. Wow. Yeah. So we all got to get so gussied much up flannel. for the Matt Gala. Right. Just, just like everybody wears a beard. That's, That's right. right. That's right. And you, now, you know, doesn't everyone stay home for the Matt Gala? <laughs> if they're doing it correctly. Well, they're there, but they're not happy about it. Like, <laughs> if, welcome to the Matt Gala. Everyone's constantly checking their watch to see if they've been here long enough <laughs> that they can leave without being rude. At the, at the Matt Gala, does everybody wear their earbuds and pretend to be on a, on a phone call with somebody else so they don't have to talk to each other? Yes, yeah. that's correct. That's well, correct. Now, and again, you guys are missing the, the brilliance because the 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 real uh, intersection of the Matt Gala is not wanting to be there, but being cursed with enough self awareness to know that you can't just be rude. So it'd be a lot <laughs> of like a lot of you could see people in their heads being like. I think I have talked to this person enough that I don't have to talk to them the rest of the night, but they can't say anything about it. That kind of deal. <laughs> I'm not really sure how we'd express that via uh, couture and haberdashery, but I think, I think people can do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you have sort of the VIP area, which is just, you know, welcome to the VIP area. I'll show you to your isolation pod. <laughs> that's right. Just where you're by yourself in a pod. And that's, that's a premium experience. Welcome to the VIP area. This is just the parking lot. Yes, sir. Yes, it is. <laughs> I would say the, the the one of the brilliant things about this uh, the 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 you know the fashion uh, company that's selling the hundred dollar shorts with the with the Bible verses on them is it, it's hard to express this because we are on an audio medium. But when you look at the pictures, as Matt was saying, it just looks like a default font. It literally looks like you just made like took like a meme generator. And just uh, superimpose some words over a picture of black shorts. Yeah, like there is no there is no design to it whatsoever. Like, and the thing I'm wondering is, can we just uh, with you know with with the say that podcast, can we just take like I don't know like pictures of fruit, uh, pictures of a sandwich, superimpose some words on it, and see if we can sell it for like three hundred dollars? Like, no one like can a, stop us. Yeah, and just yeah. see like if you like. Hey, do you want this uh, hot dog with words emblazoned on it from the Book of Romans for $75? <laughs> and just, I mean, it's just so, you know, the design of this, it, it just seems like that could, we could really make some sweet cash in that way. 
Absolutely. Well, Lee, you bring up an important point because this takes us to the very first paragraph, which I think is a good backstory in this GQ article. It says, since 2016, four friends who met online, names these four designers, have had a running group chat mainly to talk about three things, Lady Gaga, Minions, and God. And apparently this whole thing started, as and I'm not kidding you, a spinoff of a Minions-based meme Instagram account. Oh, I okay. think this presents some challenges for us because it appears to be extremely high effort stuff um, presented to look as if it was low effort and not caring. And only we only have not putting in effort and not caring. But I yeah, feel right. like you'd feel like that comes off the same, but I guess it just doesn't. <laughs> we have legitimate apathy. Uh, genuine weirdness is all we can offer. Not really high effort attempts to find the perfect font that looks like you didn't try to make a font. Absolutely. That's really where the Gen Zers have us. <laughs> and on that, we will declare a fashion emergency off a potential legal emergency still very much on, but let's be honest. We probably don't have the follow through for that either. And that is why we connect with the Gen Z listeners in our own way. Uh, what we do have and what we do put out uh, regularly, even if it's not in sweatshirt form, but maybe one day, who knows? Uh, we have a couple of things that you can find us with recurring products. We have Bridgebox, which comes out the first of every month. Face- not Facebook.com, MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox, where you can find that for only $8 a month. Get a lot of encouraging stuff in your inbox every single month. You can find us at Facebook.com slash TheBridgeChicago every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time for our Bridgecast video from our Tuesday Bridge service, edited down, compiled, and brought to you in a handy about 30-minute format. If you can't catch it live, you can watch the broadcast whenever you want over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TheBridgeChicago. We're going to move on to our first question here. It comes in anonymously. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll use some ways you can get in, touch, get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description. Click the links there. First question says, I'm afraid of losing the progress I've made in my life. I've grown in my faith, my relationships, and lots of areas, but sometimes I get this paralyzing fear that it could all crumble tomorrow. What do I do? And it's a great question. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, first of all, I think uh, I think we can all relate to this idea of sort of that feeling of everything's a bit tentative when when you're making progress you're you know you're in a territory that's new to you you're not familiar with what's going on and it's just i'm used to having guilt drive everything or fear drive everything or shame drive everything and now i just things are good so what how do i process that you know where where's the fear in that so we eventually we find the fear was what if it suddenly went away what if i screwed it all up um but the fear itself is a problem to make forward progress in your life the way that you're talking about takes energy it takes drive it takes determination there's there's a certain amount of uh just you know, energy that comes from God to to make this stuff work uh, that's required to keep this change going. Fear is draining that. Fear, you know, I think we tend to think maybe fear drives us. It's a great motivator, I hear people say. Those people have no freaking idea what they're talking about. <laughs> fear exhausts me. Fear freaks me out. Fear gets me worried about all sorts of things yeah. that I don't need to be worried about. 
you know, it's that acronym of fear means false evidence appearing real. And it's just that idea of you, you're just seeing uh, shadows and jumping at, at every little possible, you know, whatever. Um, but I think that's the, that's the thing that fear does to us. It clogs everything, slows everything, exhausts us. You don't need that. You are going to be tired enough from trying to make progress and making change. And it's sort of a good tired and, and something that you ought to celebrate. And you ought to say, you know, it's the, I've, I've done a lot of good stuff here. I've worn myself out. I don't have time for fear. That's just not what I, I it's not doing anything here. Uh, the second thing I would say behind that is to recognize that if you're headed in the right direction, you don't need to be, worry about being in the wrong place. Mm. If you're headed west, you're not going to accidentally end up east. It just doesn't work that way. If you're headed in the right direction, here's what's going to happen. You will make wrong turns. You will get sidetracked. You will waste time and energy on bad decisions and bad ideas and all those kinds of things. And it will be messy. And you may have to regain trust that was lost. You may have to... Um, show people that, yeah, I, th- this thing of me getting my life on track and doing better or doing something new even is a messy process. It's it's not a perfect process. I will make mistakes as I go. But you're still headed in the right direction, and people can still see that. So uh, I think w- if, I, if I say I'm going to head in the right direction, mistakes will happen, but I know I'm going to get where I'm going if I just keep going. Uh, then I don't need to worry about, you know, all this wrongness. But I think this is the last thing I'd leave you with, and this is the big idea. You're talking about, you know, this idea of making changes and, uh, you know, having it all crumble and fall apart. And, you know, we're we're thinking in terms of good and bad, you know, positive and negative changes and so forth. But I really want to encourage you, if you're, if you're looking to move forward, the word you need to focus on is balance. Mm. Uh, here's what I've seen from lots and lots and lots of backsliding is, you know, somebody has a really messed up and destroyed life and they get a nice job and then they get a a nice, uh, life partner that they're hanging out with. Here's what happens. They say the job is good. Having the job is good. Working lots of hours is good. Having extra money to pay off some debts is good. So I'm going to work this job a hundred hours a week. And then they're backslid. So you say, well, is it good? Is it is the job good? Is the job bad? Whatever. Wrong way to look at it. The right way to look at it is balance. Am I getting out of balance? Do I have way too much of one thing that's draining me over here and not enough of another thing over here that I really need? Fear will always offset that balance and will get you chasing things you don't need to be chasing. I'm afraid of losing money, so I work too many hours. Now I'm out of balance. So really, balance is the thing I would have you focus on as you're making those changes. I think balance is a great place to start. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there and dig into one aspect of this because we want to um, acknowledge when even if someone has a fear that may be a little bit overblown, it's often rooted in something real. And they say, you know, I have this paralyzing fear that it could all crumble tomorrow. And we don't want to skip over the fact that that could happen, sure. But we may want to look in in the uh, in the sense of balance here. We may want to look at some proportions and what's more likely to happen, right? No doubt about it. I mean, 
it is possible that you could wake up tomorrow and the the place where you got the the good job burned down overnight and there is no job there anymore. I mean that 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 is possible. It's it's super not likely and it's not really something to worry about, but it it's technically possible. Here's what's much 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 more likely is simply that you're going to wake up tomorrow and things are a little bit different than they were today. That's extremely likely because change is kind of a constantly ongoing thing. Yeah, periodically something could really go wrong, but what's much more likely that you're going to need to deal with is just an ongoing change that if you get that good job, that it kind of functions a certain way for the first couple of months you have it. And then it's different for the next couple of months after that. It's not exactly that it's better or worse in month three than it was in month one. It's just that it's different. And I think for a lot of us, it certainly applies to me. I think that we can equate change and bad as being the same thing. Uh, once I've got things locked in the way I like them, well, change would almost have to be bad because, um, you know, it's it's no longer exactly the way I wanted it. So, you know, it's it, it could only have a downside. I don't think that's a good way or a terribly functional way to to look at life. You are going to have just a certain degree of ongoing change. I think the two questions I really have for you that I want to encourage you to look at, the, the first is, do you know how to adapt to ongoing change? Because adaptation is a skill. It is something that you can learn to do and something you can get better at. I don't think that anyone just innately loves adapting to change, but even if you've not done a lot of it in your life, you can learn how to do it. You can learn how to do it in an effective way. And if you're not sure where to begin with that, this is one where finding a person that you trust uh, that could be a counselor or a therapist, depending on, on your faith tradition. That could be a pastor. But having someone that you can talk to about the details of your life, it's going to help a lot with that because how you adapt to change does kind of depend on the details. But the other thing that I really want to encourage you to think about is, do you know how to benefit from the changes in your life? And here's why I ask is that I think as you get a bit better at adapting to change, what you may find is that oftentimes there's a way for change to put you in a better position than what you were before. There's kind of an old cliche where, where people, you know, do kind of a, a, a corporate double speak and they say, Oh, this isn't a disaster. It's an opportunity. And people overuse that in a way where we, you know, all kind of sense the, the silliness of it, but there's actually a grain of truth in there, which is that a lot of the time, maybe not a hundred percent of the time, but often change presents us with an opportunity. Um, change presents us with a way to make things better in some way, to, to have a new adventure, to learn a new skill. To, there, there's some way that this can be flipped around to our betterment if we know how to see it, if we know how to approach this change in our situation. Um, there are things in month three of a new job, there, there are opportunities that are probably going to be available to you that wouldn't be available to you in month one. Because things have changed a little bit, learning how to spot those, those opportunities, I think will help a lot. A, because you're not kind of leaving cool stuff on the table. If there's, if there's cool, interesting, fun, uh, good, adventurous stuff that you could have in your life, I, I think you should take a hold of it. But the other thing is, if you can start to build in your brain an association where sometimes things change and actually it really makes my life better because I've learned how to mm. approach it in a new way. All of a sudden, we don't have to be as afraid of change anymore. Um, 
if our only association with change is when things change, things get worse, then we're going to be scared of change. Um, but if we can start to build an association of I am figuring out how to not only adapt to change in a way where it doesn't throw me, but how to find the good stuff about it, draw that out and turn it into something that's ultimately a positive. Now, we don't have to be afraid of change at all. We, we can actually welcome it. We can benefit from it. We can be blessed by it. And we can turn around and we can show other people how to do that in their lives, too, so that they are better off as well. We know that you've got what it takes to do that. We believe in you and we're praying for you. Absolutely right. Another great place to take that. And Lee, I think both Glenn and Judd have given us some really awesome stuff on the kind of high level, talking about big topics, fear, change, those kind of things. What are some kind of nuts and bolts things we can do to deal with this uh, fear and these thoughts and these ideas as they really try to screw up what we're doing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And again, you you have heard amazing stuff, stuff about, you know, all this talk about balance and, and these, the, you know, the, the, you know, getting good at adapting to change. That's all amazing, amazing stuff that we've heard already. And, and one of the things I want to go back to just to kind of, uh, you know, per Matt's question here is to look back at your question. You know, you talked about, um, you talked about, I've, I've grown in my faith and my relationships in lots of areas. Um, that's really amazing. Um, and, and, and so this idea of like in, in one fell swoop, all of that is going to crumble down. Um, we need to look at the fact that like you, we don't need to measure the entirety of your life in kind of one, like, you know, one big ball of like, everything's going in a good direction. If anything bad happens, then all of it's going to crumble. What actually most of our, you know, most people, our actual experiences that we live our lives and kind of momentary bursts. You don't have like, you don't experience all of it right now. And I say that to say this, you can have, um, some great moments today. You can have, uh, you can have a good lunch. You can have a great workout. You can have a, a good, uh, shift at your job. You can have a good conversation with a friend. Like you can experience good moments in your day. And that's really the way that you experience your day is, is moment by moment. And so I would actually encourage you as far as nuts and bolts to narrow your focus of like, I don't have to worry about my entire life crumbling in one fell swoop, even though I've, I've worked hard and grown and made some positive changes in a lot of different areas. As you say, Uh, I, I don't have to worry that all of that is going to crumble. I actually experience my life in little momentary bursts. I have, I have this moment and then I have the next one. And then I have another little moment, you know, where I'm, I'm cleaning my house and then I'm hanging out and I have a conversation with my neighbor and then I go to a staff meeting or whatever that is. And you can have good moments in those things. And then if you have in one of those individual moments, if something kind of goes sideways and you have a bad moment, the whole thing has not actually crumbled down. We're not experience all experiencing all of our life in one gigantic pile. We are going kind of moment by moment through this. And so you can, you can deal with that. You can push that to the side and, and hope for something better the next time that you are in that situation. But we can, we can have a, a goal of like, I want a good conversation, a good workout, a good morning, a good evening, whatever that, that thing is. We can narrow that focus and realize um, I'm experiencing my life in little momentary bursts and I can do that well. Um, I, the whole thing is not going to come crumbling down in, in one avalanche. Um, I actually don't even experience my life that way. I need to narrow my focus 
and down to these moments. And that way, if something goes sideways, I can work on that thing and not be afraid that the whole thing has crumbled. All great stuff from all these guys. I really love uh, covering a topic from the, the really 5,000 foot view down to that day by day stuff. I think these guys got all over that. So we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes into our Tumblr and says, I don't know where to stand on the abortion bill in Texas. One part of me feels obligated to support it because I'm a Christian. The other part of me thinks abortion is not so black and white. I feel uncomfortable around the subject because everyone I know is vehemently against it. And I understand their anger as a Christian. Where should I stand on this issue? And we really appreciate the question, obviously a hot button topic. And there's a lot going on in the, in the uh, question in a number of really interesting ways. But Jed, why don't we see if we can get started with just the basic basics? Totally, totally. We're very glad for the question. If you listen to this show by the numbers, you probably want fewer abortions to happen. That's probably true for most people who listen to this show. So we'll start there. Here's the next thing that we need to acknowledge is that exactly as you said in your question, abortion is a complex, multifaceted social issue. And it's really, really critical that we all be clear on that because that's going to speak to what will and won't work in terms of how we're going to address this issue. Given that it is definitely for sure a complex, multifaceted social issue, trying to hit it with a hammer will not work. Mm. When we take complex matters and we try to make them super, super simple and then hit them with a hammer, it hardly ever works, and it almost always makes things worse. And if you want kind of a context for that approach being tried and failing spectacularly, you can actually look at the war on drugs uh, in the United States. The amount of, of money and time and effort and lives that have been poured into that, and the, it, it has been a failure on every conceivable metric. Um, it, there, there's not really any data set you could look at that would suggest that uh, the war on drugs have worked. And again, that's because drugs is also a complex, multifaceted social issue, um, and it just does not work well when we try and, and make those super, super simple, just say no, and then pound that with a hammer super, super hard. I want to actually, you asked us a question. I've got a couple questions I want to ask back to you. But first, um, again, I said by the numbers, if you listen to this show, you, you probably want uh, fewer abortions to happen. So there are two things that have been studied that definitely for sure reduce abortion. Uh, you actually probably already know what they are, but I will list them all for you. The first is comprehensive sex education, as in not abstinence-only sex education. Right. Comprehensive sex education leads to fewer abortions. The other thing that definitely massively leads to fewer abortions is uh, young people having, or really all people, but especially young people, uh, having ready access to birth control. Massively, massively, massively reduces abortion, like a, a crazy amount. So again, th these are known things. They've been studied. Comprehensive sex ed, birth control, man, hugely, hugely, hugely lowers the incidence of abortion. My question for you is, why are you not in favor of those? Hmm. Why are you not pushing to have those like right now? And I really want to encourage you to think about that. And I have two uh, possible explanations that I want you to ponder. Because again, you have a thing you want. You want there to be fewer abortions. 
and there's a way that we can definitely get there. But um, again, by the numbers, you're, you're probably not champing at the bit for us to, to use those tools. So why would that be? I think there's two things we should look at. The first is my question for you is, are you being manipulated as a part of a political campaign? Mm. Are there people that are getting you riled up and they're telling you we've got this grievous evil that must be stopped? And then not only are they selling you on the problem, they're selling you on the solution. They're telling you we've got this thing and it's and it's it's awful and it must be stopped immediately. And only my solution can stop it. My solution, which has no chance of working, but only my solution can stop it because that's how manipulation works, man. Um, so I think the, the first thing to look at is, are you being manipulated as a part of a political campaign? It is certainly possible to have a social issue that is important and that matters and that needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed effectively and to say other people are suggesting solutions to this and there's no reason to think they would work. Therefore, I'm all for addressing the social issue and I'm super against the solution this person is suggesting because there's no reason to believe it would work. The second question that I want you to look at, and I, I know this may cut a little deep. I don't, I don't mean to hurt you with it, but I, it is important that you think about it. Do you have your own sexual hangups that you need to address? Mm. Is there a chance that in your upbringing, especially around church stuff, you've internalized the idea that anything that has to do with sex is naughty and bad? And therefore, what we really need to do is we need to punish people. We need to create a world where people are disincentivized to have sex because sex is naughty and bad. I don't know that you grew up that way, but a lot of Christians in America did. Yep. If we're going to be honest. And the thing about that, brother or sister, is that is melting your brain. If you were brought up in that, those ideas are hurting you. And they're actually tempting you to live your life in a way where you, you may be party to hurting other people, too. Um, the simple fact of the matter is we know good, efficient ways to, um, to reduce the number of abortions and to do so effectively. But there are people who do want to manipulate you as a part of their effort to um, get elected to political office. And there are almost certainly people who have lied to you about human sexuality and your sexuality and made you feel like it's a bad thing and bad things need to be punished. I want to encourage you to really think through and pray through those things um, so that you can get to a place in your life where not only do you know what you believe and what you support, but you can confidently know why you believe what you believe and why. You support what you support. When it comes to matters at this level of importance, I think you owe it to yourself to have that kind of certainty and the peace that comes with it. I think that's a perfect place to start off. And I, I know I speak for the other ghosts of the show, and I say we agree with everything Jed said about that. And uh, Lee, I'd love to get you to uh, take our next step in how we can think about this. Yeah, one of the things that that almost never gets talked about is um, like when Christians started talking the way that they do about abortions wholesale, um, and how Christians became how like especially evangelical Christians, so called became like one issue voters. Um, a lot of a lot of Christians would assume like, well, the Christians and the the conventions of different denominations and churches in America have always been uh, pro life, and that's actually not true. Um, one of the largest, yes, go ahead, Matt. 
Lee, I think what you're about to get to, I have a quote from the Southern Baptist Convention in exactly. 1976. That's it. That's where Three I was going. years after Roe v. Wade was passed, it said the position was, quote, Southern Baptist work for legislation that will allow for the possibility of abortion under such conditions as rape, incest, clear evidence of severe fetal deformity, and carefully ascertained evidence of the likelihood of damage to the emotional, mental, and physical health of the mother. So, okay, so that's a very important thing that Matt's bringing up. That's actual history. And, uh, you know, a lot of Christians will be very surprised to learn that that changed when a certain private Christian school did not want to lose their tax status because they did not want African-American young people to be allowed into their school. And so they made a deal with certain um, with uh, with certain politicians, and they, they turned um, the abortion thing into... This is what we're going to get all your people fired up about. If if you send us your, you, you let us keep our ability to to decide exactly who goes to our school without us losing our tax status, then we will give you all our voters, and we'll do that with abortion. That's when that happened. That's how that happened. It was about um, segregation, and everybody has had the wool pulled over their eyes about that since that moment. It is. As Jeb was leading off on this, it is a very complicated issue. It's a very complicated issue that has all of this other complex history uh, entangled in it and really, really, really messed up stuff behind it. One of the things that, um, <clears throat> that, that I would like to lean in on this with is that everybody thinks that the way to reduce abortions is simple litigation. And what I can tell you, um, having worked my entire adult life with young people, um, high school students and college students, is that the number one, um, the, the number one thing that I have found that has an impact on actual abortions is something that the church almost never talks about, which is outreach. Yes. Outreach and support. Uh, these things are not preached uh, very often in churches. They, people are not trained in how to do outreach and support of actual human beings. We build churches that are so big that you can't possibly know the names of the people that are sitting in those chairs, rather than um, having the kind of congregation where you know people, you know their story, you know their pets' names, you know how to take care of them, you know what they need, you know when to show up, why to show up, how to show up, because you have relationships with those people. That's, that is what the church is supposed to do as the body of Christ. We are supposed to reach out to people who are having a hard time. We are supposed to train uh, people how to, how to be involved in, re- in outreach and support. Um, if you, if the, the facts, as Jed laid out, if you make abortion illegal, all you do is reduce the number of safe abortions. It, you don't, and I know that's a very complicated phrase that I just used. I, and w- obviously what I'm talking about is safe for the mother in that situation. You don't actually reduce the number of abortions. I, that's probably something that Matt was going to get to um, at some point there anyway, and I, I probably took that from Matt. The real question that, that Christians need to look at is, what can we do for poor people? What can we do for people Hello. without access to health care? What can we do for people that don't have access to food, to education, to opportunities? The question is, do Christians care about theories, or do we care about the actual world that we live in and the people that are in it? If we trained people in outreach and support, I promise you 
The church would have a gigantic impact on learning people's stories, learning all the intricacies of those stories, and knowing how to take care of people regardless of what happens, uh, knowing how to knowing how to be a network of support for people who are having a hard time, for people who are who don't have opportunities or access to to healthcare, to food, to to housing, to all of the things that 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 are important when they are bringing a child into the world or or knowing where an adoption agency is or how to get how to get in contact with these folks. The there are believers in all of these parts of the what would be the support system. We've got to learn how to make those connections, how to train people in outreach and support so that the body of Christ can do what the body of Christ was intended to do instead of just shouting. Another excellent, excellent answer on this. And Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I love what all these fellows are saying, and and certainly I agree with with every word. I think the, the real challenge that we're dealing with, you know, what I'm feeling out of your question is, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this. I I don't know. You know how do I sort through the complexity that Lee and 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 Jed are both bringing out here? Here's the here's the nature of that problem. Okay, when you're looking at many different wrongnesses and you are trying to weigh them out, you're always going to be lost. Uh, here's uh, here's an abortion, which we don't like the idea of abortion. Here's uh, someone trying to tell a woman what she can do with her body. We don't like the idea of that. There's all different kinds of, there's politics like we were just talking about. There's even racism that creeps in there somehow. Right. You know, the, there's just wrongness going in every direction. What you're trying to do is navigate through and avoiding all the wrongnesses, and there's nowhere to go. Okay. That's always going to be the wrong way to figure out how to navigate through life, and and particularly navigate through your Christian walk. What we need to do is is just the opposite. We need to start, in this case, by asking the question, what would please God? Mm. What would please God in this situation? What would please God in terms of the way that we deal with this person who is pregnant and did not plan for this? Uh, what would please God in terms of the the public witness of people who claim to follow him, for example? Uh, in, in other words, let's ask this question. Is there any credibility left with non-Christians, in, in terms of non-Christians cre- seeing Christians as credible on the issue of abortion? Mm. And I, I think the answer would be no. So... Why is that? Well, you're not volunteering to adopt these children. You're just trying to tell somebody else what they can do and what they can't do. And you know, we understand that again, it's a complicated issue, and that's that's part of our legal system is we we set up certain boundaries and so on and so forth. But the idea that you could do something to step in and participate in this in a positive way, but you're not. You're just looking to apply power in certain ways. That means you don't have credibility, but it, it means you don't have credibility on this subject, but it also means you're losing credibility on everything else. That doesn't please God in any sort of way. Mm. So uh, th- the idea here is I don't, I don't think we uh, are focused on pleasing God in any of this. I think we're focused on trying to to force the other side to adopt our position 
in this case, I, I, this is a key question I would ask, is does it please God to see, to see people who claim to be his followers using politics to make change rather than love mm. and help and understanding? That outreach piece that, that Lee was talking about, that going out into the world to say, I, I love you, here's what I want to see happen here, because I think you would be pleased and God would be pleased, and it, was, and it would be the best way out of a tough situation. And we may not have any perfect solutions to these problems. You know, if, if you have a child that's, you know, a pregnancy that has happened, adoption has certain things going on with that and foster system and maybe another relative raising that child and there's there may be issues with that there may be no perfect solution in that sense so we have to go to this and say you know what would please god rather than sitting around saying okay how do we force these people to do what we want them to do without making a case without getting in their lives without loving them, without earning the right to be heard, how can we just sit on our side of the table here and tell them, here's what I say you should have to do? 100% of the time, that's going to be the wrong thing. All great stuff from all these guys. I know there's a lot of information being thrown around in there. One piece of information you didn't hear mentioned was what the Bible says about abortion, and that's because it doesn't come up. like at all whatsoever. Um, you mentioned your question. I think this is the part I, I want to zoom in on here as we, as we move to the next subject. And I know a lot of people feel this way as I feel obligated to support any anti-abortion bill because I'm a Christian. That is exactly what the people Lee was talking about wanted to happen 40 years after they launched that project. That regardless of yeah. any other questions, issues, whatever you would think, well, this is anti-abortion, anti-legal abortion. Let's be clear about that again, as Lee is saying, you're only reducing the number of abortions done by medical professionals, not the overall. Um, and that is the definition of what they call in politics a wedge issue. And abortion is the most successful and most popular wedge issue in the history of politics. Uh, a wedge issue is something that uh, is, if you think of a wedge being driven between two things, is the idea that you can get uh, voters to think... Uh, I don't know any of the policies other than this one, but this is the, these are the good guys on this one, so I know that. It is based, as, as Lee points out, in, uh, in villainizing people who disagree with you. It's based on dehumanizing people of different genders and different uh, racial and socioeconomic aspects. Yeah. There was a, a study done, and I believe it was 2005, was last time they did a large-scale study, but I think in that something like over 70% of women interviewed who had chosen to have abortions did it mainly for some kind of economic reason. Uh, the majority of women who have abortions in America already have at least one child. This is a very complex issue, but it is one that is inherently political, but maybe not even in the ways you think. Things like uh, health care, child care, access to food, access to uh, right. A good wage job that a single parent could have are all things that in certain ways play into abortion. But as these guys have pointed out, uh, the path that has been chosen is one of just uh, villainizing and trying to control a certain group of people while not trying to control other people. And it just happens to be a happy little coincidence 
that the thing that a legislator made up almost entirely of white men wants to control most is something that affects uh, women of color uh, statistically by far the most. Isn't it funny how that works out? I say all that to say you can have whatever opinion you want on abortion. It's a complex issue. There's a lot going on. Um, I will throw in my little uh, mini rant here of if you're anti-abortion but pro-death penalty and mm. pro-military intervention, I'm you're going to have to come up with another term than pro-life because that doesn't really hold together as an ethos. But those things have been decoupled because, as Lee is pointing out, so much effort has been put into making you not think about this one issue. There's people out there who want you to only feel about a version of this issue. They don't want you to think about it. They don't just think about what would actually help, what would actually work, what you're actually buying into. They want you to skip that part of your brain and go straight to something. And we're going to tell you every single time, no matter where it's coming from, no matter uh, what side it is, no matter if we agree with the overall argument or not, nobody who says, don't think about it, just do what I want you to do, is not doing that because they have a great case or you're doing the thing that's best for people. As we move on, I will throw one quick thing. The, uh, Lee was talking about a lot of great stuff. If you want a short and concise intro to that idea of the religious right and abortion and segregation and all that stuff, there's a great one on uh, Politico, uh, which was written in 2014 by a historian named uh, Randall Balmer. So you can search that stuff. You can also find the uh, blog post I did answering this question on the Bridge blog on September 9th. And there's a link to it in there. All right, we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I feel like I have a hard time concentrating when I pray. Sometimes I even fall asleep. I hear, I hear people talk about prayer warriors, and that sounds like a good thing to be. But how do I actually pray better? And another very, very cool question. Lee, where would we kick off? I, yeah, this is, this is a very good question. And what I would say is, I think it's fine if you lose concentration when you pray. Well, I, I certainly hope it is because I do it all the time. Um, I, I I look at the question and and it's so funny. I also grew up in church, and so I heard the phrase "prayer warrior" a lot. And um, it's a weird thing where church culture can come up with phrases that you don't stop and think about or question, and then all of a sudden you think like, "Oh, that must be a big." gigantic thing in the Bible or whatever. And it's, it's just not, it's just something that somebody came up with. And, um, there is a phrase in, uh, in the letters of the apostle Paul, where he talks about a fellow named Epaphroditus who wrestles in prayer. Um, but I don't know that that's like a WWE version of like the ultimate warrior could just mean he was wearing a singlet and we don't judge (laughs) whatever you gotta do to get loose. He might've had some face paint um, some hair, like, you know, crazy hairspray. We don't really know, but, um, prayer warrior is not, uh, in the Bible, but, uh, I'll tell you something that is in the Bible is, uh, Jesus saying, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. That doesn't sound like the kind of guy that's like, don't fall asleep when you're talking to me. That's not what he's like. Uh, to, to be perfectly honest with you, I I think it's awesome falling asleep when I'm praying. Sometimes I do it on purpose. I'll like literally set an alarm on my watch. I have one of those watches that you can like customize an alarm 
on it and I will just set an alarm for a certain number of minutes and I will just, I'll, I'll turn my attention to the Lord and I'll tell him like, Hey, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to start talking to you, but I'm also planning to fall asleep in this time. And I think he digs it. I mean, I, I, that's just the kind of guy he is. I, I would just want to completely set you free on this and say, um, you know, I think he likes being, uh, I think he likes hanging out with you. I think he likes talking to you. I think I have a lot of biblical evidence for that. And I, I think you should uh, allow yourself to feel completely set free in this whole deal. Um, people that uh, people that would make you feel bad for uh, losing concentration when you pray, they lose concentration when they pray. Anybody that would want you to feel bad for falling asleep when they when you pray, they have fallen asleep when they, you know, when they intended not to as well. Um, there's a place in Psalm 103 where the psalmist says um, that the Lord remembers that we are dust. Um, he, he, he knows what we're made of. He knows that we get tired. Uh, he gets all of that. And again, he likes you. He likes hanging out with you. He likes when you turn your attention to him, and he gets it if you feel so relaxed in his company that you fall asleep. A great place to start that off. Glenn, where we pick that up? Well, I agree with all that. I, I think, um, as Lee pointed out, um, this prayer warrior idea, uh, which I have no idea what that means, uh, is not in the Bible, which is probably why I didn't bother to figure out what it means. Uh, and the reason why we sometimes point out what's in the Bible and what's not is because that's sort of a key doctrinal issue. You know, the the, yeah. the professional term... Uh, for that is sola scriptura, meaning only things that are in Scripture. Uh, if you start going outside of that and making up new stuff, you, where does it stop? You know, all of a sudden you're making up a whole new religion, and that's a problem. So uh, we we only really go with stuff that's in in the book, except for uh, you know a lot of people who spend a lot of time talking about doctrine are happy to color outside the lines and make up words like this all the time. So. I think, uh, you know, for us, there's a little bit of an edge there when somebody uses some of this lingo. It, you know, there's a little bit of an eye roll, like, uh-huh, you're a pair warrior. Sure, yeah. Uh, but so some of that is really um, uh, trying to sort of dress up what ought to be natural and organic and part of your authentic experience as opposed to participating in sort of a cultural invention of what prayer ought to be. Uh, I don't know what a prayer warrior is off of all of that, but I assure you they fall asleep too. So, you know, I, I think let's give ourselves a break on that. Um, recently, we, we had a, uh, a, a service, our, our bridge service, and we had uh people coming in, and part of this is these are people who are in drug recovery, um, people who are coming out of incarceration. So, they, you know, they're dealing with some tough circumstances. And in a lot of cases, they are trying to find employment, and mm. uh, they're coming to to the bridge at the end of, a, a, you know, physically tough work day. And sometimes, you know, they, they're just covered in dust and dirt and what have you, and sometimes they're just really wrung out. And a, a couple of weeks back, uh, one of the, our ladies was sitting, you know, right at the front and just fell completely asleep yeah. in the middle of my sermon. And she came up, came up to me and was so 
upset about it and so worried that I would be offended and really wanted me to know, you know, I, I, you know, I did, it was a lovely sermon. I'm sure I have been working for 12 hours and going right. to meetings and all of this. And I am so sorry. And I, I, I looked at her and I said, I'll bet when you're at the bridge, you're more relaxed than you are anywhere else. Mm. And she said, that's so true. I said, that's what I want. I want yeah. you to feel so relaxed that it's just like you're slipping into a warm bath or something. And if if falling asleep is kind of part of that, where you feel just so disarmed and the weight is suddenly off of you so much, I think all of that's a good thing. I, I don't think there's anything for you to feel bad about whatsoever. And I it, it, understand uh, th- when, I, when I'm describing that being my take, I am much less understanding than <laughs> God is. So <laughs> if I can be understanding about that, I know that God can. So uh, let me encourage you to, to see it that way. Final thought here is you're, you're saying, uh, you know, I hear people uh, uh, you know, talking about prayer wars, uh, but I want to pray better, you know, you know, praying like these prayer warrior people. Uh, uh, praying better is sounds like you're trying to create a good impression, and you actually don't do that with God. Uh, God has the exact, true, and correct impression of who you are. You don't create one. You you don't put up your best foot forward, and he's like, "Hey, this guy's doing pretty good." Yeah, it's he sees exactly what's going on. So uh, that that idea of fronting off or uh, talking in a way that's super fancy or what have you, uh, and that that being co-equal with this idea of being appropriate and being really powerful and really strong and really Christian and whatever, it doesn't work. God knows your heart. Uh, he knows that you're tired. He knows he wants you to feel relaxed. He wants you to experience yeah. peace in such a way that it just, it just, you're, it takes all that weight off and you're just falling back into his arms and falling asleep. And I, I think that pleases God a great deal. So uh, you know, don't let uh, anybody else take that feeling away. Another great place to take that. And Jed, where would we close this one out? Well, I am, I'm right with the very good advice you've already heard of. I have no idea what a prayer warrior is. Um, I, it, what it does make me long for. So like I grew up in this weird, um, uh, alternate universe where everything was Christian, right? You didn't have, you know, rock music, you had Christian rock music, you know, you didn't have Sesame street yet, you, you know, salty and his, uh, and his Sami songs. Right. But the one thing that they never did, which I really wish they had was to do Christian professional wrestling, in which wow. case, obviously prayer warrior is the Christian version of the ultimate warrior. And that would have been incredible. Like, I can't tell you how delighted that would make me. And it, it is making me right now as I'm considering the possibilities. <laughs> that aside, I have no idea what a prayer warrior is, although I've definitely heard uh, people use the term. But I would encourage you towards um, a different goal with your prayer life. I, I certainly echo everything Lee and Glenn have already said about, like, you just keep it real with the Lord. You, you, you get tired, you fall asleep, it's fine. Don't worry about any of that. The, the following has to do with... Um, hanging in there on prayer. So like one of the things, uh, if, if you go back to, uh, and this is actual, actually true. If you go back to, to caveman days for human beings, one of the things that allowed people to survive was this thing called endurance hunting, right? So a deer is much faster than a human being over short distances in a short period of time, but human beings can just keep going. 
They can just endure for a really, really, really long period of time. And eventually the deer gets worn out and the human wins. All right. With that in mind, I want to encourage you to be an endurance prayer. I don't mean that you should pray for like a thousand hours in a row. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, say your friend is going through a rough time in their life. I want to encourage you to be the kind of person like, I'm just going to keep praying until this situation improves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I- I'm not getting bored. I'm not changing the subject. I'm not forgetting about my friend. I am going to keep bringing this up in prayer until something changes. Because this is actually the model that Jesus gave us for prayer. When he told a story about a, a lady who was going through a rough time, and she refused to stop bugging a judge. And I want to encourage you to be like that, to be just, to be, to get a thing and say, I am not giving up on this thing before the Lord until something changes, until things get better. And if you really want to go all the way with it, with your endurance prayer-ing, I want to encourage you that as you go to the Lord, yes, we're going to ask the Lord to do something about it, but we're also going to ask the Lord, Lord, I need you to show me ways that I can help. I need you to show me ways that I can help that I can uplift, that I can encourage. If you pick a thing, your buddy's going through a rough time, you say, I'm just, I'm not going to give up on praying for this until this improves, but I'm also going to insist in my prayer life that I get to be a part of it improving. Even if that's just through me being an encouragement to my buddy and I'm asking for wisdom on how to do that, dude, you will change the world if you do that. I have no idea what prayer warriors are, I have no idea what they accomplish, but I do know that if you become an endurance prayer, if you take things that need prayer and you refuse to give up on them, however long it takes, and you ask God to fix it, but you ask God to let you be a part of the fix, man, you are going to change so many people's lives. So that's the thing that I want to encourage you towards. I don't know what it is to be a prayer warrior, but you should be that kind of prayer. It will bless others. It will bless you. You will love it. Go do that. That is absolutely right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. If you want to keep that entirely anonymous, don't forget to check out our BridgeCast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago, or whenever is convenient for you over at that same Facebook page. Take out the song this week. It's been a minute since we've heard some Lee music on this here show. This is a Lee's version of the hymn, I Need Thee Every Hour. Very cool tune which i just recently rediscovered take out that thanks for listening just remember we love you god loves you there's nothing you can do about it the say that podcast celebrating the mix of religion and capitalism because there's no way that can be super creepy <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need-